Hello again. This is Series 13 of Satisfied. The Series 13 podcast enhanced the perspective Bible study covering the books of First and Second Thessalonians in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we gained the biblical perspective on death and beyond. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 8 of the Perspective Bible Study. We will gain the biblical perspective on what it means to shine God's light in how you live your life now. Driving between Austin and Waco, Texas several years ago, the words on one particular billboard captivated me. It said, Christ will stand on Mount Olivet at noon on August 2nd, 2027, based on Amos 8. Verse 9. Say what? Someone is always predicting the date of Christ's return based on blood moons, high tides, whatever. But this billboard caught my attention. So I went to the website named on the sign and I looked up Amos chapter 8, verse 9, which could describe a total solar eclipse. The billboard's creator was predicting Jesus' actual presence on earth because there's supposed to be a solar eclipse over Jerusalem on that date. But I didn't see any reference in Amos to the Messiah standing on Mount Olivet. And the solar eclipse on that date will not be directly over Jerusalem anyway, but south of it. Jerusalem will see a partial eclipse, not a total one. The stark statements on the website are a jumble of puzzle pieces forcefully being fit together to make a picture. I said in the last podcast that trying to understand all the prophecies about the end times is like having a bunch of puzzle pieces that look similar but without the picture on the box top to tell you how to arrange them. All we know for sure are the border pieces. We can put the four sides of the puzzle together. Those are events we know will definitely happen, but we don't know when or how the rest of the pieces fit inside the border. We covered the first event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One day Jesus Christ will appear as Savior to gather his own together in the clouds. We call that the rapture of the believers. A second event is the great tribulation, during which God's wrath against sin is directed toward earth. That is introduced in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as the day of the Lord. Another event is the revealing of the man of lawlessness, or the Antichrist, as described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The fourth event is Christ coming to exact justice against unbelievers and set up his kingdom on earth. That's described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Those are the four sides to our puzzle. In this podcast, we'll look at the day of the Lord in which God's wrath against sin is directed toward the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul introduced the event known as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord refers to a future time in which God will be more directly and dramatically involved in world affairs than he has been since the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day begins after the rapture of the church, includes the Lord's judgment against sin in what is called the Great Tribulation, Christ's second coming in blazing fire, and ends with the conclusion of the millennial kingdom and final judgments of those who reject Christ. Concerning the Great Tribulation, the book of Revelation describes in awful detail what this time of God's wrath directed against sin on earth looks like. We won't be on earth at that time. 
we are promised salvation and rescue from God's wrath in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 and 5, verse 9. And that's how God worked in his other times of judgment. In Genesis chapter 7, God told Noah and his family when to get in the ark for their safety. After they were safely out of the way, he brought the judgment of the flood. In Genesis chapter 19, God sent angels to rescue Lot and his family out of Sodom. As soon as they were safely out of the way, he brought the judgment of fire. Jesus confirmed that pattern in Luke chapter 17 and said that God's plan for us is the same. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So, if we won't be here to witness it, and we have no actual control over what will happen, then why did the Lord give us so much detail about that time? All scripture has purpose. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking. To rebuke is to express sharp disapproval of behavior. God hates sin and will judge it severely. All the verses describing what will happen during the great tribulation are a warning to all those who reject the gospel message now. There are future consequences, so repent now and be saved from that. Another purpose could be to teach Christians how to live now in order to draw unbelievers to Jesus so they will believe and be saved. It could also be to give us hope for our own future. The purpose is not so we will spend our lives trying to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. Only God knows that picture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, the Lord does not come to gather His own like a thief in the night. We're supposed to be waiting for Him, ready for His appearing. We've seen that already, and we see it in verses 4 and 6 in this chapter. Yet only God knows when the rapture will happen and when the day of the Lord will begin. It hasn't happened yet. When it comes to predicting the time of the Lord's return, Pastor Chuck Swindoll has a great reminder for us. God doesn't work on our timetable. He has a plan that he will execute perfectly and for the highest, greatest good of all and for his ultimate glory. While I don't hold to the date set by the creator of that billboard I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, it did get me to thinking. What if Jesus was on earth by then? That means the seven-year great tribulation was over. That means the rapture of believers would have already occurred. I saw that billboard in 2014. I thought to myself at that time, what if we as Christian women had only six more years to share Christ with everyone we know? Would that make a difference in how I live my life? Well, it's now 2020. The six more years have passed. Other than extending my outreach through my website, I really haven't changed much in my outreach to unbelievers in my sphere of influence. It's so easy to just put it off. I'm quite discouraged about that. 
We all have good intentions to share our faith with others, if they ask us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that love compelled him to share the gospel. Where is the love compelling us to share the truth? Where is the compassion for the unbeliever that should drive us to not wait until later to share the life we have in Christ with women in our neighborhood, PTA workplace, or bunco group? The Bible says that unbelievers are like dead women walking. I'm just as guilty as anyone else for putting it off until later. One sweet neighbor lived next door for more than two years. She was on my prayer list for almost a year. I was thinking about getting together with her to talk about life and maybe find out about her spiritual needs. Then she suddenly died. Too late. Thankfully, I read in her obituary that she was a Christian. Isn't it sad when you don't find out that someone who lives right next door is a sister in Christ until you read her obituary? But if we are God's messengers, we need to be living as light bearers to the lost now. What does it look like to live as someone who shines light in the darkness? Paul addressed that in the rest of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote this, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, awake and alert, awake and in possession of ourselves, self-controlled. You believers in Jesus Christ are children of the light, children of the day. In both Jewish and Greek thought, to be described as a son of something was to be characterized by that thing. In this case, what characterized the Thessalonians was the light and day, in contrast to the darkness and night. They belonged to the day of God's grace. They were no longer in the kingdom of darkness because God had removed them from there and placed them into Jesus' kingdom of light. The same is true of you, dear believer. You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You are in the kingdom of light. It's a new identity. Live as children of the light. Paul had already taught them to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Live lives worthy of God, representing God as children of him. Live in order to please God. Let your daily life win the respect of outsiders. That's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Your faith and love for God is a breastplate protecting your heart from corrupting influences. Your hope in your salvation and belief in Christ's promise to come for you is like a helmet protecting your mind from doubt and despair. Those flow from your identity as children of the light. Your identity as children of the light is visible to others. Most of the rest of chapter 5 describes all the ways you can live your life as children of the light. And each one of these provides light to watching unbelievers. Look at the list from verses 11 through 22. Encourage and build each other up. That's Christians building up other Christians, not tearing them down and not letting them stay discouraged. Esteem and love your spiritual leaders. We live in an anti-authority world, one that spirals toward anarchy if left unchecked. How would talking respectfully about your spiritual leaders enhance your light bearing to the unbelievers around you? Live in peace with each other. This is in every one of the letters of Paul, Peter, James, and John. 
we have the peace of God. God enables us and wants us to live in peace with each other. If this is true in your life, how would that draw unbelievers to Christ? Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Paul mentioned these types of people three times in the two letters to the Thessalonians. To the watching world, Christians should never appear as having no purpose. Having too much time on your hand is a symptom that you aren't living according to your identity as light bearers to the world. Encourage those who are disheartened. This is an act of love. Help the weak. Another act of love that definitely draws the attention of the non-Christian who is watching. Be patient with everyone. God enables you to do this. How does having patience with everyone fit with your role as a light bearer? Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Jesus said this. Paul said this. Peter said this. It's a universal truth of God. It's not karma either. Believers should never be seeking revenge. Justice, yes. Revenge, no. Strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Doing good within the church family as well as to those who are outside. This is being proactive because it means you are watching to see what needs to be done and trusting the Holy Spirit to show you what to do. Rejoice always. Psalm 16 verse 9 says that when your heart is glad, your tongue rejoices. I love that word picture. How does your heart get glad? The next verse says the Lord fills you with joy in His presence. You can rejoice always because you always have God. So how do you do this in such a way that draws attention to Christ rather than yourself? Pray continually. This means you are trusting in the Holy Spirit to show you how to be a better light bearer to believers and to unbelievers. Give thanks in all circumstances. How do you do this in such a way that doesn't sound sappy, but like you really mean it? That will certainly draw attention to the light of Christ in you. Don't quench the spirit. Any behavior opposite to what is in this list will quench the spirit's work in you as a light bearer. Anger, impatience, selfishness, seeking revenge, whining, griping, tearing down other Christians, discouraging people, and disrespect for those in authority. That'll do it. Test all teachings to hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. What goes into your brain will influence your heart and come out in your actions. A light bearer only bears truth. Otherwise, you're quenching the light others see when watching your life. All of these are God's will for your life. But the best news is that He doesn't expect you to do this on your own. Who can? Nobody. Not one of us. Not you. Not me. None of us can ever do anything on this list 24-7. That's why the end of this chapter is so wonderful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, we read these wonderful words. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. He will do it. What does that mean? 
The word sanctify means to be set apart from sin and to God. That is the same thing as being made holy. By faith in Jesus Christ, God declares us holy in His sight. We are clothed with Christ. When God looks on you and me, He sees Jesus and His righteousness, not all our faults. His love chooses to do that for us. You have been set apart as God's special beloved possession for His exclusive use. And one of His purposes is to use you and me as light bearers to an unbelieving world. You are also being made holy in your thoughts, words, and actions by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is ongoing from the moment of salvation until the Lord comes or you die. When your being made holy is complete. The one who calls you to be sanctified, to be holy, to live as described by that list I just read to you, He will do the work to make you that way. It's His power in you that enables you to build each other up, to respect your leaders, to do what is good for each other and for everyone else, to rejoice always and to be thankful in all circumstances. It's Christ in you through His Spirit that does that. As Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It is Christ at work in you through His Spirit that enables you to do anything good in His name, whether for yourself or for anyone else. We are to live dependently on Him to do this. Although we can resist His work, that doesn't stop His work to conform us to the image of Christ. As Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, what God started in us, He will complete. We can cooperate with the Spirit by yielding to His work and letting Him transform us. You can always pray to the Lord like this, Lord Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I trust You to do this in me and through me. Then watch what He does. He wants you to be the best light bearer you can be for Him. The New Testament teaches that Jesus' return for us could be at any time. Yes, it has been just shy of 2,000 years of waiting, but if we lived as though we believed that to be true and asked Jesus to give us His heart's compassion for the unbelievers around us, how would that affect our lives today? Would we be more interested in shining the light rather than those who contentedly just dance in the light with our friends? Let Jesus satisfy your heart with His perspective on life in the present and in the future. Then live life securely in Him during this time of waiting. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 13 of Satisfied.